This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hello, Gumshoes. Welcome to episode number four of Detect This on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the HBO series True Detective. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my fellow detective, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm doing good. Um, we've gotten a lot of feedback, and it's been really nice to hear back from everyone. Yes, we've gotten a lot of feedback. We are very happy that people seem to be enjoying the show. Uh, let's let's just dive right into it, Charlie. Uh, as always, people can email us at detectthis at filmgeekradio.com or leave us a voicemail by calling 336-793-2509. This is a special bonus episode of the show. Uh, we promised on the last episode that in order to make up for being so late last time that we would record an extra episode of Detect This, uh, going over listener feedback so that we could discuss more of, of what all you fans out there think about True Detective. And I, I don't really quite know how to describe what happened next, Charlie. Uh, you guys, everyone listening, you, you really came through. We got a ton of new iTunes reviews. Uh, we got so many, we can't go over them all today. And as a result, we are currently featured on the front page of iTunes' TV and film uh, podcast section as a new and noteworthy podcast. So thank you so much for all the support, everyone. We really, really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Charlie, as much as I love talking to you about the show, I think I might love hearing from our listeners even more. We, we've gotten some really cool emails about the show, some of which we're going to go over today. I completely agree with you, and I can't wait to dive in. Well, before we get started, I want to induct a few more honorary members onto the Detect This team. As always, you can become an honorary member of our Detective Squad just by leaving us a positive review on iTunes. That lets us know that not only are you a fan of the show, you're super engaged with True Detective, and you want to be part of the discussion. Uh, we got around 15 new reviews since we last recorded, Charlie, so we can't get to them all today, but I promise we will get to you by the time True Detective finishes its first season. So you might have to be patient, but we love you, and we will give you a shout-out at some point. Do not worry. Uh, our first review is from Tony0010. I can't decide if that's Tony10 or if that's Tony2 in binary. But... Uh, <laughs> The headline reads, great show, and the review says, love this podcast. You guys stay on topic and don't jump around all over the place, and I won't hold it against you that you didn't like Matthew McConaughey and how to lose a guy in 10 days. The best part of Matthew McConaughey is his willingness to take off his shirt. LOL, can't wait to hear more. <laughs> okay, to be honest, I've only seen bits and pieces of how to lose a guy in 10 days, so maybe it wasn't even fair of me to make a joke on how that's his worst role. I don't think I've ever seen it, so I cannot comment I also haven't seen Failure to Launch or Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. So those could be cinematic masterpieces that I just have not had time to sit down and experience yet, Charlie. I don't think you'll ever top Fool's Gold, though. <laughs> I remember when that movie came out. I did not see it, but all I heard was just awful, awful things. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it either. And to be honest, I didn't so much mean I dislike Matthew McConaughey as an actor in terms of like, I thought he was a bad actor. It was more just I was not impressed with 
the roles he was choosing. But of course, I'm not an actor in Hollywood, and I'm sure that you got to take what you get offered at the time. So, you know, he got a good starting ground there, and uh, now he's just on a roll. Well, Tony, thank you for the review. Uh, We also got a voicemail from a Tony, and it might be the same person. So, Tony, based on the voicemail we got and your review, I'm going to assume that you are female. I apologize if that is incorrect. But for now, you know, I was trying to think about what role we could bring on Tony as for our team, Charlie. And I realized, you know what we need? It sounds like she's really into Matthew McConaughey, and we could totally use a seductress. We need someone (laughs) who will be able to use her feminine wiles to get the information that we need to solve this case. So, Tony, (laughs) welcome to the team as our honorary seductress. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god i mean that in the nicest way possible <laughs> really you you have to be you know we've all seen the movies of the cop shows where the male cops are having trouble getting the information they need so in goes the the, the female and just you know flirts a little bit and next thing you know they have everything they need i mean not all of them have to flirt andrew Nancy Allen wasn't uh, a seductress in RoboCop. I guess that's true. Okay. I apologize if that's, if that comes. I'm sorry. No, okay. I'm sorry if I ruin your fun. <laughs> <laughs> Our second review is from Lee Cooper 76. The headline is really enjoying the exposition. And the review says a great way to expand on each episode of the show. Thank you very much. Lee Cooper 76. Yes. Thank you so much. You know, Lee Cooper 76, I think we're going to put you in charge of file maintenance because if we ever need to go rooting around in old ca- in, in old cases, uh, they need to be easily accessible and organized so that we can find everything we need. So, Lee Cooper, you can help us out with that. Uh, welcome to the team. We're honored to make you an honorary member of Detect This. Thank you very much. Uh, the third review we're going to mention today is from My Vogon Poetry. The headline is Great Listen on a Great Series. The review says, Andrew and Charlie have good thoughts and analysis on the show with a lot to dive into. Production values are good and conversation was entertaining. Thank you, My Vogon Poetry. Yes, thank you, because I don't always believe I have good thoughts so it's nice <laughs> to know that someone thinks i do i think my vogue on poetry has been uh, messaging with us or at least with me on twitter as well so my vogue on poetry is a, a very uh, devoted listener of the show thank you very much for all your support you know i was thinking charlie last week we inducted a cult expert into part of our team i don't think that's quite enough i think as the show gets more in, in, into its themes and everything it's exploring, I think we're just going to need an, an overall general religious scholar. So my Vogue on Poetry, we'd like to bring you on as that religious scholar. Welcome to the team. Uh, I hope you know a lot about religion because that's who you are now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, our final review is from Namaste Neil. I wanted to make sure to get to this uh, today, Charlie. It's one of our more recent reviews. It's, it's One of the coolest reviews we've gotten. The headline says, Undercover Deputy Sheriff Detective Investigator, Major Crimes Unit. And the review says, I'm an unrecognized UDSDI in the MCU, and I'm supporting this podcast because they are trying and no one else is. The show, True Detective, is beautiful with hints of Angel Heart, Twin Peaks, The Killing, Broen, and a little prime suspect. So, whoa, Charlie, people in law enforcement are listening to us. I, I'm so sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> Shucks. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> I, wow, that's, I, I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, there's, there's an, 
apparently, if Namaste Neil is to be believed, there is an actual undercover deputy sheriff detective investigator for the major major crimes unit listening to detect this. Um, I all I can say is if we ever get anything wrong about just like cop stuff when we're talking about the show please write in and let us know you're the expert so if we ever make any mistakes and and and, and we mess up on and if we're inaccurate with our assessment of of certain things that the show presents or if you think the show is being inaccurate in any way please write in and, and let us know obviously there's really only one role for you because you've kind of announced what you do uh we need to bring you on the team as our undercover deputy sheriff detective investigator clearly <laughs> wow that's pretty awesome yeah well uh, thank you everyone for writing in and for leaving us uh, a lot of itunes reviews we really appreciate all your support and and the feedback uh, we love dis- discussing the show with all of you uh you make this podcast a lot of fun to, to do so welcome to the team all righty Let's move on to the feedback that we got this week. Uh, firstly, we got a voicemail from Tony. It might be the same Tony that left us that review earlier. I'm not sure. But uh, as always, you can leave us a voicemail through our website or by calling 336-793-2509. And here's what Tony had to say. Hi, my name is Tony. I'm calling from Colorado. I just wanted to say something real quick. Um, I just listened to your show and you were talking about religion and is it the main focus of this show? And I don't think it is. It's um, there. But I think it's how people manipulate religion, how they hide behind it to appear a certain way. And I know you guys think that Cole, Matthew McConaughey's character, is really dark. I don't think of him as dark. I think of him as as, um, damaged, maybe sad, but he's funny. He has a sense of humor. He's honest. He tells it like it is. He sees through people. And I think that's hard for some people to take because, I mean, honestly, we all have something to hide. And if you have a man who can see exactly what you're thinking and what your intentions are, then that can be uncomfortable. So I like Colton. I really like him. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character um, is a scumbag. Okay, Charlie, Tony brings up a good point. It's not so much that religion is the focus of the show necessarily as much as how religion can be manipulated by people and how they can hide behind that to a certain extent. What are your thoughts on, on that observation? I think it's a great point to address because I think that it's incredibly accurate and it relates to a lot of how, you know, people manipulate religion to coincide with how to justify how they live their personal lives, how they view the world, how religion is manipulated as a form of power in some cases. And I feel like, yeah, I don't feel like the show is breaking new religious ground per se. I just think that it's making a lot of interesting commentaries on how religion is something that affects society, whether you're religious or not. Um, you know, I, as I said before, I'm agnostic, but, you know, to say that I'm not affected by religion at all would be a complete lie because a lot of my friends are religious. It's it's relevant in, you know, society, in the news. It's something worth discussing and thinking about, even if you 
might not believe in any particular religion. I feel like it's an important point that she addressed, and thank you so much for your voicemail. Yeah, definitely. Also, Tony says that she doesn't think Cole is a dark character as much as we might have implied that he is. She thinks that um, actually Hart is really the least sympathetic of our main detectives, and Cole is actually, she doesn't find him that depressing. Do, Do you agree with that? I would agree with you, Tony, that Hart is definitely the least sympathetic character. I really dislike him at this point. I very much empathize with Matthew McConaughey's character, and I like him quite a bit, but I find him to be, I mean, he's not the kind of guy that I would want to invite to a Friday night party, per se, like, because I feel like... Oh, I would totally invite him to a party. It'd be a very memorable party. (laughs) It would last all of 15 minutes and everyone would leave, um, (laughs) because he would be such a... Because everyone would get drunk and then he'd start talking and everyone would be crying. Um, But I, I do like his character a lot. I find him fascinating. I would have to respectfully disagree, because I do think that he is dark, and I feel like... There are a lot of times where as much as I love what he's saying and is uh, thought-provoking as it is, it is it, it does kind of uh, affect my mood. A lot of the stuff he says uh, haunts me after the episode's over and kind of affects the way I think and feel about the world around me, at least for, you know, a few hours to the end of the day after I watch the episode. So um, for me personally, I find him to be a difficult character to spend time with at times because he he is very bleak at times, but I don't think he's one note per se. Well, right, and, and, and I'm going to push back against you a little bit, Charlie, and say that I, I think I can see where Tony is coming from because while I personally think that, you know, it, it's hard to deny that Cole's philosophy is very bleak and very pessimistic, and in that respect, he's a dark character, you know, if, if you if you look at how he behaves and, and his body language and, and his tone, especially in the in the 2012 interview sequences, he does not seem to be defined by that darkness, or at the very least, he's made peace with it. And he seems to know, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I think. He's very confident. He's relaxed. He's accepted himself and his own flaws and how he can come across to different people, he seems very much in control of himself, and he's very confident. You know, and he even says, yeah, there's kind of a victory in coming to terms with all of this and accepting it. And I think that that does shine through. He does feel in some ways like a character who has been through a lot, you know, lost his daughter and his marriage fell apart, but he has come through it, and now he's emerged on the other side, and he he seems to have accepted everything that's happened. So I think in that respect, he does come across as, you know, as I mentioned, I think on the last episode, he might be depressing in what he says, but he's not depressed himself. I still would respectfully disagree with, I think he is depressed, but I think he's made peace with his depression, if that makes any sense. Well, right, right. He's, or at the very least, he, yeah, he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy for people to maybe pick up on it if he's depressed he at least on the surface he appears very cool and relaxed he's definitely more relaxed and at peace with himself and more mature in many ways than Hart, who uh when anything doesn't go his way he usually has a temper tantrum so 
Right, right. Cole may be a darker character in some ways in terms of his worldview, but he is more mature. And I think that's what makes him sympathetic, ultimately, at the end of the day. Definitely. Okay, well, well, let's talk about some emails, Charlie. Uh, the first one I wanted to discuss, we got an email from a devoted listener, and it was a really, really long, really cool email. I, I'm not going to reveal the name of the person who sent it because I'm not sure they want that information revealed. But basically, this person discussed how True Detective is really connecting with them on a personal level because they feel and, and have felt in, in their own lives like Cole to a certain extent. And their worldview can skew a little dark at times, and they've struggled with depression. And, and like a lot of people, they really think a lot about the world and religion and, and what it all means and all these existential issues. And uh, before we get to the email, I, I just want to say, if you're listening, uh, you know who you are. Thank you for writing in and letting us know how the show is really connecting with you uh, in, in your personal life. It means a lot to us that you would share that with us. And I, I don't think that that's a unique response to the show, Charlie. I think there are probably a lot of people out there who are drawn to True Detective because they can personally relate to a lot of the darkness and and, and these existential issues that it raises. No, definitely. And yes, thank you so much. I read the email as well, and uh, I found it to be incredibly moving along with very thought-provoking. And that's very brave of you to write such a personal email to us because that takes a lot of courage to come out and tell us that personal information. I, I know I've uh, struggled with depression and uh, some moments of existential crisis at times, and uh, I'm not always as brave about talking about it as I should be. So the fact that you're able to email us just because you liked our show and were, felt that you could tell this to us in confidence, I, I found that to be incredibly powerful, actually. And it thinks a lot because it was a great email. Do you feel like you're connecting to the show in a different way from other people, Charlie? Because you've you've dealt with depression at different times in your life. Um, yeah, I. Uh... It's it's interesting. I uh, you know, and I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm still struggling with depression today. I mean, uh, I'm about to graduate from college, so I have a lot of anxiety on my mind, and uh, a lot of my friends have moved away, and uh, a majority of them have moved to Los Angeles because I'm friends with a lot of film majors, and I'm a big film buff myself, and majoring in media studies. So I guess I can identify with uh, Cole in some ways that I can totally sympathize with his loneliness and. I feel like when you have lost a lot of important people in your life and you get stuck inside your own head, these thoughts come out. And especially if you're hurting from past experiences, you're more likely to think in more, I don't want to say harsher, bleak ways, but that that's true of me, at least, is sometimes I get stuck inside my own head and I uh, don't always think as optimistically as I would like. And especially because, you know, another thing that I do relate with Cole about is that I'm not religious and sometimes I'm not gonna lie I kind of and I kind of wish I was um obviously I can't force myself into uh any form of you know you know like I I, I wish I could and honestly at times follow some religious path because I feel like it gives people a lot of hope and a lot of faith even for hypocrites like heart I'm not sure if I don't believe in God I think there's something out there I just don't know if it's God 
or what it is. And my parents were both agnostic, so I didn't go to church as a child. I've never been to church a day in my life. I was just brought up this way. And uh, one thing I would have been conflicted with is that I'm gay and that, you know, going to church, I might have had some uh, identity crises because of that. So luckily, I didn't have to deal with that existential crisis in terms of, you know, that sort of uh, material. But at the same time, I feel like religion does ultimately bring, it makes people feel connected. It makes people hopeful. It it gives them a sense of uh, purpose in life. And I really wish I was able to believe in some form of religious faith sometimes because I feel like I can be really bleak with my personal religious views. And I'm sorry if that got way too personal or I offended anyone. I'm just trying to explain how I... Well, no, I, I think one of the reasons that the show has become so popular, Charlie, is that you, you've got Cole and Hart, who are such complex characters, and they both are, in many ways, on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I feel like most people watching the show, even though you might sympathize more at times with Cole or more at times with Hart depending on the situation, most people I feel like are kind of stuck in the middle, kind of being like, well, yeah, I can kind of see what, what this guy's saying over here, and I can also see what the other guy's saying over here. And I think that that is partially why the show has become such a, such a hit and why it has inspired so many devoted fans, because we can see some of ourselves in these characters we might not fully relate to them all the time but we can see parts of ourselves in them and the different things that they're dealing with very well said i couldn't agree with you more yeah it's it's the perfect mixture of escapism and that human element where we feel like these people are real people it's one of those shows where i keep thinking like i wonder you know i feel like it's kind of you know, even the flashbacks kind of like are going on, you know, when we're not watching it, like there's stuff going on that we're not seeing, like those characters have a life when we're not watching them for an hour. Charlie, these interviews are taking weeks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. Well, well, let's, let's, I just want to go over a few highlights from this email that we got. Uh, and this individual writes, uh, on first watch, I had kind of that visceral reaction that Hart had when listening to Cole philosophize about human life and human nature. Not because these are themes that I don't care to think about, but my past experience has taught me that espousing those types of views are really not very helpful from a social or even personal development level. Uh, from an artistic view, the show also tends to trend heavily toward that Cormac McCarthy, Watchmen, Nietzsche, whomever you want to throw in, worldview, which I find unbearable in how the negative and meaninglessness of our lives is emphasized in lieu of everything else. Not knowing Nick Pizzolatto, when I begin to feel the character of Cole is just a vehicle for the writer's worldview, it distracts me from everything happening in the show and makes me wonder much more about the writer and the creative team behind the project than the story that's being told. The second viewing allowed me to pick up on a lot of the other things I missed or devalued, and it really made me want to dig deeper into some of the outside interpretations of themes and structure of the show, as well as the characters. Again, not to make this too personal about my experiences, but the discussions you've had to date reinforce a lot of my observations about life. I've had therapists in the past directly state that I struggle with the question of purpose or existentialism, and I feel like there's a certain connection I can make with the issues he grapples with on a psychological level that many people perhaps cannot. 
uh, I want to point out among the things I noticed that the Cole character could easily be depressed with a less severe chronic low-grade depression, such as dysthymia, that would more or less allow him to function in the capacity that he has been depicted on the show, both in 1995 and 2012. That is a very good point, Charlie. And, and I think that's kind of what you were suggesting earlier, that... Cole could be depressed. It could just be a more minor depression, something less severe that does allow him to still function day to day. Yeah, and um, it is a good point. You brought that up, too. You said um, last week, you know, he's not having a lot of trouble getting out of bed in the morning. He seems to be doing his job really well. In fact, he's doing a better job than Hart is. And that is interesting because, yeah, when you when it does come down to it, and I've actually suffered from some of this before, depression can, you know, affect you in ways where you can't even get out of bed in the morning or doing a simple task like taking out the trash or washing the dishes or doing arbitrary minuscule things can seem heavy and very difficult. And that is a good point because Cole doesn't seem to have any problem doing his job, keeping on top of things. And even though he's drinking a lot in these interviews, he's having no problem talking about them or recalling anything. So... That is a good point. Yeah, and also this this email did touch on something we've mentioned before, Charlie, which is kind of the overall tone of the show and trying to figure out where the show itself aligns. You know, is Nick Pizzolatto the creator of the show and the primary writer of, of this season? Is he kind of trying to perpetuate this worldview? Is this, like the email mentioned, is this sort of a Cormac McCarthy take on life just now on television instead of books or movies? Uh, I'm not sure yet, Charlie. I think we still have to wait and see where the show goes from here. Yeah, we don't know how it ends, obviously, so maybe my answer will change after a while. But I did bring up Cormac McCarthy last episode, too, and I was actually really happy to see that I wasn't alone in thinking that. Because I do get that Cormac McCarthy feel that, the you know, I feel like Cole is very much a Cormac... He could very much fit into any Cormac McCarthy novel, and uh, he even talks a little bit like some Cormac McCarthy characters where sometimes he has monologues that feel as if they're written prose. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I think they're beautifully written, but he does feel kind of like that lost, wandering soul that Cormac McCarthy uh, makes the protagonist of a lot of his books. Well, well, that's an interesting point, Charlie. I was just thinking, I don't know if you saw that movie, The Counselor. I did. That Cormac McCarthy wrote, um, and it was directed by Ridley Scott. And now that I'm thinking about it, that, that movie... You know, you had it starred Michael Fassbender as this guy who kind of got in over his head, but seemed to be a little bit more optimistic and kind of thinking that he could get out of trouble. And then you had the other, a lot of other characters, including a guy played by Brad Pitt, who was just kind of like, uh uh, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, this is, no, you can't escape. This is the way life is. You know, it's all doom and gloom. And so, so yeah, I can see that Cormac McCarthy kind of struggle between. Is there any hope or is it all just an illusion? Mm -hmm. And Cormac McCarthy has written books where, and even though I've opposed to, I don't want the show to take this route, um, I guess I'd be open to it. But there have been some Cormac McCarthy books where it seems as if he's saying life is harsh and then we die. And then there are some other stories where there's even, where there's some glimmers of hope hidden between the lines and uh, in subtle places I feel like uh, The Road is, which I think is, uh, apart from No Country for Old Men, is his most popular book because 
it's a father and son trying to survive in the end of the world, and the father has to keep his sense of optimism in order to raise the kid and help him survive. That's an interesting point, Charlie. Even within Clement McCarthy, there there are some variations. I agree with you. The road is probably one of his more optimistic works, at least the ones the, the few that I've read and that I've come across. Have you read The Sunset Limited? I have not. I have read The Road, I have read Blood Meridian, and I'm currently reading No Country for Old Men. Okay. I have not read The Sunset Limited, but I saw the HBO movie starring Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel L. Jackson. And first of all, great movie. Second of all, possibly the most depressing thing I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And you watch a lot, too, Andrew, so that really says something. <laughs> I watch a lot, and, and the way that movie ends, you just come away just, just going, oh, my God, this is just, why am I alive? <laughs> it, is, it is bleak, Charlie. But anyway, uh, getting back on topic uh, to, to, to some of the emails we got. Uh, we got an email from Floyd, our big fan, who, who wrote in, Uh, who's written in a lot, and we went over some of his emails last week. Here's what he had to say this week. Quote, Despite some of the more outlandish clues I've pointed out, I think I agree with you guys that the killer is not Cole or Hart. I think there are just too many moving parts here for it to be a straightforward Hart's the killer or Cole's the killer type of ending. I think I'm starting to lean towards a cult or community cover-up thing. I haven't worked it out yet, but you'll be the first to know if I do. Thoreau is on my radar big time now. Just a thought, but wouldn't it be interesting if despite all of his anti-religious talk that even Cole wasn't able to see through the perception of what a, quote, man of the cloth or pastor represents? I mean, this pastor's church was mysteriously burnt, then painted with a mural of a murder scene. A flyer for this church was found in the victim's diary, and she was known to attend services there. Just because no one has a criminal record, we're going to just move on? That's a good point, Charlie. Something's got to be going on with uh, with that church and possibly Pastor Thoreau. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And the more I'm thinking about it, Andrew, do you think that it, this killer might just be some character we haven't even seen yet? That is entirely possible. Yeah, I feel like this is the kind of show that could pull that off. There are times where if a film or a TV show tricks you into thinking, it's going to be one of those movies where the killer will be a certain main character because you're spending time with a bunch of the main characters, and then they pull in some side character that's either been in the movie for five minutes or some character that's been pulled out of thin air that we've never seen before that can feel kind of cheap but i feel like with where the show's going and it's talk about life and existentialism and cole's perspectives on you know everything from philosophy to religion that i would not be surprised if it was someone we haven't met yet at this point and i feel like that would be okay because it fits with a lot of what's been set up for us yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, also, getting back to everything with the church and, and religion, I'm I'm interested to know, kind of getting back to what Tony mentioned in her voicemail, if the the killer ultimately is a religious person or a spiritual person and is using these symbols for personal psychological reasons. Or if maybe these symbols and these religious elements are just being used almost as a distraction, as a ploy to hide what's really going on. Do you think that he's uh, he's kind of covering up his murders by trying to give them the sense that it has a religious meaning or an existentialist type of purpose, but really he could be just as like nihilist and pessimistic as Cole? Oh, nihilist is a harsh word, but... Well, well yeah, yeah. 
like I like the question is is this a true like fundamentalist like yes I have these certain religious beliefs and everything I'm doing including these killings stems from these religious beliefs or are the religious elements just kind of a more intellectual element that he has kind of put onto the killings just kind of as an extra layer where maybe it's not the primary motivation it's just tangentially related yeah it's him manipulating why he kills and trying to connect it with a sense of purpose and connecting it with religion is uh, a way that he finds to be an easy way of convincing himself that what he's done is okay or has some sort of significant purpose for why he felt the need to murder. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. To what extent is religion a primary motivator versus just something he's kind of just using for other reasons? Also, Floyd writes, uh, being three episodes in, the jury is still out on the show overall, or at least its overall perceived success or artistic merit. In saying that, I'm going to predict that this next episode makes or breaks this show. Coming off the two-week hiatus and introducing the first prime suspect, we need to hope this is a good one. Um, I don't know if I'd say the next episode is going to make or break the show, Charlie, but it is certainly going to be important because we're now moving into the second act of the show. And in interviews, Nick Pizzolatto has said that episode four is going to kick things up a notch. And the first three episodes kind of had their own specific tone and pace that they stuck to, and things take a different turn in episodes four through six in Act Two. I certainly hope so, and from the last shot of the latest episode, I assume that something's going to go down. That's probably going to end up being pretty freaky, because... Uh, that last shot implied that they're probably going to get into some sort of manhunt or fight or religious cult or something. I don't know. But I doubt they just bring in that character with the machete at the end of the episode and not follow through on it if this show is only eight episodes long. Something like Game of Thrones I can see doing that because they are going to go on forever probably, at least until they finish the books. But since we've been given the information that this storyline will only last till the end of season one and then it's only eight episodes i'd be really surprised if it didn't pick up the pace a little bit not that i'm saying that it was badly paced before but i agree i will be a little annoyed if it's still kind of slow and we don't really get any answers not that i didn't like the past three episodes i really really enjoyed them but i hope it's not we're gonna do build up for seven episodes and then the eighth episode will just be fast paced and solve everything yeah i I don't i doubt we're gonna see that charlie and i don't want to get my expectations too high or our listeners expectations up very high but i do remember i think possibly even before true detective aired i know screeners of i think maybe the entire first season, were sent to certain TV critics. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been uh, Matt Solarsites from New York Magazine. I believe I saw him tweet something to the effect of that he's already starting his list of the best TV episodes of 2014. And so far, True Detective episodes 4 and 7 are early contenders. Wow. So, yeah, it's possible that next week something really crazy could happen. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I 
anticipate the final episodes of shows more than I should because I remember, you know, oh my god, Breaking Bad's final season was on this past summer, and I remember thinking, the finale's just gonna be the most insane thing in the world, and then it was actually uh, a couple episodes before, as much as I love the finale, my favorite episodes of that show, and some of the best episodes of television I've ever seen turned out to be the episodes that preceded it, uh, mainly Osmandius, which is the second to last episode, I believe? Uh, third to last. Third to last, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how things go next week. I'm, I'm hoping episode four will be really, really good. Floyd also has another question. He writes, I'm not going to say this must be relevant, but I'm having trouble figuring out the point of having Hart's daughter drawing those pictures. Do you guys have any theories on that? I think we covered it a little bit in episode three. A little bit, yeah. We both discussed how Hart isn't really seeing his daughter's growing up from a female point of view. He's seeing it from the male perspective. And Michelle Monaghan's character is more troubled by it because she's learning it at an early age. And even though she says that girls learn it at an early age because they need to, I feel like sex can be, I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't know what it's like to be a woman, obviously, but like, I feel like, you know, uh, sex can be much scarier or, much more, um, it, it can definitely be a much more intense perspective, I assume, because let's face it, Andrew, like when it comes to sex, I mean, men have the upper hand, not like men can't commit sexual crimes against other men, but, you know, women in society and uh, just biologically, they can be victimized more. And I feel like Hart, as you pointed out very well last week, uh, likes to dominate women and He's not very concerned with his daughter learning about sex because he remembers learning it as a boy. And just as he can't really see how he's being sexist towards the women in his life and can't see how he's dominating them, which I feel like is going to possibly come back in a very darkly karmic way, maybe, for some female characters in the show. Because I feel like we focused a lot on how men treat women in the show so far. And I feel like that's a point that is pretty... That that scene really upset me, actually, because I found it to be very real. Like, that felt like sitting in a room and listening to a conversation that parents are having with their daughter that you shouldn't be listening in on. It just felt very intimate in a very emotional way and uh i feel like maybe i'm just rambling at this point but i don't know <laughs> well i think you know yeah we, we did talk about some of that stuff last week charlie but i think the main thing we can get from the fact that hart's daughters are drawing those pictures is just that clearly things are not right at home clearly something's going on with Hart. he's not around maybe there's something more sinister going on that that hasn't been disclosed yet we don't know but these girls wouldn't be drawing those pictures for no reason. You know, there's something there, either something specific that they have seen or just a general atmosphere or general absence of heart that is contributing to that. It's disturbing to me that, you know, heart was clearly affected by the crime scene in the first episode, but it was... Uh, explained to us in the first episode that she was not just tortured, but raped and sexually abused. And I find that to be kind of upsetting that he's not protecting his, you know, he's not even like connecting the two, like that his daughters will grow up someday. They won't just be these little kids that are going to be hanging around in his house. And that maybe he should uh, 
try to, you know, educate them about this a little more in, in a way that he can try and relate to how a woman probably feels. Obviously, Michelle Monaghan is probably going to do a better job of that because A, she's a better parent, B, she's a woman. And I just feel like that was a little upsetting to me how like Cole was so upset by the murder and then didn't really get concerned about the fact that he's not really thinking that his daughters are going to grow up someday and become women. And I feel maybe, am I, am I getting too off topic here or am I, uh, no, no, no. I, I think you're bringing up a lot of really good points. But uh, but moving on, the last thing that I want to mention from Floyd's email, he sent us an excerpt from an interview with Nick Pizzolatto uh, from the Daily Beast. And I've read the full interview. It's a really great interview with uh, Nick Pizzolatto. So if you're interested in the show, go check out that interview with him over at the Daily Beast. But here's a little excerpt from it uh, where Nick Pizzolatto says, quote, I've enjoyed reading people theorize about what's going to happen because it's a sign that you're connecting but I'm also sort of surprised by how far afield they're getting. Like, why do you think we're tricking you? It's because you've been abused as an audience for more than 20 years. The show's not trying to outsmart you. And really, if you pay attention, if someone watches the first episode and really listens, it tells you 85% of the story of the first six episodes. Well, that gives me comfort. I will be extremely mad if the show ends up manipulating us and Nick Pizzolatto isn't even aware of how he's manipulating us. But given the fact that (laughs) how strong these past few episodes have been, I highly doubt that. It also makes me happy to see that he is aware that he's working within a genre where it is very easy to manipulate people, especially within a TV show. Because I remember when The Killing's first season ended and I was so angry and... There was a lot of negative feedback from fans, and the writers and the creators didn't really acknowledge that. They were just kind of like, well, we did this, and, uh, you know, we love our viewers, and if they don't like it, well, fine. We're going to do what we want, though, and it just showed no, like, sense of, like, how can we... You know, because obviously an artist's work is for themselves, but if you're going to make a profit off of it, you have to make it accessible for a wider audience. And I feel like that's a really good point to bring up that this is a genre that, you know, can very easily just whip you around in several different directions and treat you like you're not smart or keep teasing you with empty promises, which is what I felt from the first season of The Killing, and it's why I gave up on it. But I'm not getting that vibe from the show at all. I think it's interesting that he says... As an audience, we've been abused for more than 20 years and kind of implying that we've seen shows and movies that try to pull one over on us, that try to have that last minute twist and reveal that, oh, no, actually things have not been as they've seemed this entire time. And I think that might be a little harsh, Charlie. I do think that shows can pull that off sometimes and movies can pull that off and when it's pulled off well it's very satisfying to to know that the writers and the show managed to outsmart you to a certain extent in a way that felt organic and natural but was still surprising like honestly that's why breaking bad was such a great show because the show went through so many twists that you never saw coming and yet when they happened you were kind of like oh well yeah Of course it would happen that way. There's no other way it would happen. Yes. Like, it just felt so inevitable when these things would happen. So I'm not sure I'd go as far as to say it's it's audience abuse. I do think now maybe there is an expectation from the audience like, oh, 
what's this show's crazy thing that it's going to do? You know, we, we've had Lost and all the things that Lost tried to do and all the mysteries. And we've had shows that tried to develop really deep, complex mythologies or suddenly kind of reverse how you viewed certain characters in the span of a single episode. And that can be satisfying sometimes, but it can also be frustrating if the show doesn't quote-unquote outsmart you in a way that feels appropriate. Yeah, it can make or break a show for me because the killing felt confident and I was willing to go with it despite my doubts that arrived pretty early on. But I get a smug feeling from... You know, it leaves a sour taste in my mouth sometimes. If a mystery, especially a mystery, is ultimately not paying off in the end, and you get that vibe from the people who are behind the camera and writing it out that they think they're being smart and that they've won up to you and aren't we so brilliant that you didn't have any idea that this was coming... Sometimes I think that they totally deserve that. And I'm like, yep, you earned this. You're totally pulled the rug out from underneath me. I'm totally with you. You backed it up. It relates to the characters and the plot developments we've seen before. And then there are other times where good movies or good shows will be completely ruined for me based on a last minute twist. Like uh, it's it's not quite a murder mystery, but there's a slasher movie, a French slasher movie that got pretty big about almost 10 years ago called High Tension, which was really scary and really tense and really bloody, and I was totally with it. And then there's this tacked-on twist ending that makes absolutely no sense. And as a result, even though I enjoyed about an hour and 15 minutes of its hour and a half to hour and 40 minute runtime, I wouldn't recommend it because it completely lied to me. It feels like it, it feels like the story is cheating in a way. And Sometimes I feel like that can really kill it for me because I feel like I have, you know, the movie's done so much to earn my trust and then it is abusing it. I think abuse is actually kind of a, I know it's a harsh word, but it's sometimes a good word because there are, how many twist endings have we seen where the killer turns out to be someone and it makes absolutely no sense? I don't think that's going to happen here. I really don't. I'm not even sure if there will be a twist in this show. Well, see, that's going to be interesting, Charlie, because... I, you know, we've been theorizing, like, oh, if there's a twist, what's it going to be? Who's who's really the killer? If there isn't a twist, or if there isn't some crazy thing that happens in the last couple episodes, do you think people will be disappointed? It depends on how well it's executed, and at this point, I won't be disappointed if they take that route. And honestly, I mean, I know I've been, like, harping on the killing forever, but the killing advertised the show with the tagline, who killed Rosie Larson? And then during commercial breaks, who do you think killed Rosie Larson? Go online and vote and see who what the other people are thinking too. And then it advertised its last episode of the first season with, you're under arrest for the murder of Rosie Larson. And then it didn't even solve the murder mystery in the first season, even though it teased you the entire time. And then they basically said, tune in next season to find out who the killer is. And I was like, no. That's total bullshit. Like, you mm -hmm. just flat out, like, teased us and lied to us and basically implied that you were going to solve this case. And instead, you're just like, oh, one more twist. We're going to make you think you know who it is. And then we're just going to throw something implausible in there. And, oh, uh, watch watch season two. Make us more, Help us make more money. And then we'll, uh, we'll give you what you want. And it, it's just, you know, it, it makes me feel like I'm just... Uh, you know, a number, uh, they just want me to tune in to make the money and they don't really care about how well they're telling the story. It's just how many times can they get me to tune back in? 
That's a good point, Charlie. You mentioned the fact that the, the killing, especially that first season, was really teasing that idea of who's the killer, who's the killer. True Detective doesn't really seem to be teasing a whole lot. It it has that one central mystery of who's the killer. That's what they're trying to find out. But that's pretty much it. And I think Nick Pizzolatto is right when he says, you know, if you watch the first episode and pay attention and you listen, it tells you 85% Mm -hmm. of the story. Of, of these first two acts. I mean, we already know that there's a killer. We know that they think they caught the killer in 1995, but it turns out they might actually not have caught the killer, and, and that's why they're meeting back up in 2012. We know that they had a falling out. We know that Hart is now divorced based on certain things that he said. So, yeah, you can, you can get a lot of the story just by paying attention to that first episode. So maybe there there won't be any really, really crazy twists. We'll just have to wait and see. I, I prefer for them to just tell it, the story straight and have no twists whatsoever and ha- to have it be highly satisfying than to tack on a twist just to try to be clever and it completely nullifies everything we've just seen. One movie that I am not a huge fan of even though I made a joke about it last episode, and it's highly beloved by many, many film people, and everyone says I'm insane for not liking this, is The Usual Suspects. Because I really don't feel like it has anything to say except for, gotcha! And then it doesn't really... Okay, Charlie, but as a gotcha, it's pretty awesome. Okay, well, I will also admit that a friend spoiled it for me, but... I also well, no had a spoiled, I also had the sixth sense spoiled for me, and I found a lot of substance in what I didn't know. And then something like the usual suspects just just didn't really say anything to me more than like, "Isn't that clever? We totally got you." And I'm just like, "Yeah, but there's no substance there." All right. Well, the last email I want to go over is we got an email from Carl, who writes in. And he had a few questions for us. He, he says, I'm, I was wondering what your predictions are for where the final five episodes will go. Do you think, and then he lists five things. So let's go through them really, really quick, Charlie. All right. Like, yes or no, and maybe one or two sentence explanation. Do you think, one, the interviews in the present with Cole and Hart will take place over all the episodes? A majority. I would say maybe up to six episodes, seven at seven tops, but, but that's just my prediction. I'm going to agree with you, Charlie. I think that the interviews are going to go up till maybe episode six or seven, and then we're going to realize what's going on, why they're being interviewed in 2012, and we're going to follow it from you there. You could have that memento type thing where you have the two plot lines going back and forth, and then it completely intersects by episode seven or eight, so... Okay, two, will they show them catching the supposed killer next week as they are racing off to do? I don't think they're going to catch him next week, but I think that they're going to get into trouble or get into some sort of danger. I know that's incredibly vague. I don't know. I think they might catch him. Yeah, it's a possibility. There might be a big, you know, it's implied that there was going to be a big shootout, so there might be a big action scene, and then the episode ends with them catching him, and then maybe episode five is an interrogation or or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I'm not sure. I I wouldn't be surprised either way. Three, will they show what split the detectives up? I assume that they will either explain it or show it. I think that they might show them clashing with one another more often as the show goes on and then discuss it in the interviews. That would be my guess. But I would not be surprised if it shows a big dramatic scene of them falling out completely with one another. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if it shows it. And I think we can already guess that maybe they split up because 
Cole and Maggie start to, uh, let's just say, get close. <laughs> They're already, they, they already seem to be communicating very well with each other. You mean, Much more so yeah. <laughs> than, than Maggie is communicating with Hart and then... Cole doesn't really talk to anyone the way he talks to Maggie. So you think they're going to have, like, sleepovers, Andrew? I think they might have sleepovers, Charlie. They might get together for some wine and cheese and a sleepover <laughs> party. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, I just imagined, like, <laughs> Cole seducing Maggie by, like, leaving bits of cheese on the ground <laughs> and, like, <laughs> to, like, a bedroom or something. I, I I just imagine Matthew McConaughey in like onesie pajamas, like little kids wear. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, my friend is over, and we're gonna have a sleepover. Okay. He'll have like Charlie Brown pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd probably have some really really depressing <laughs> pajamas. <laughs> he'd have he'd have Cormac McCarthy pajamas, <laughs> <laughs> or he would just have like stars and space on his pajamas and maggie would be like oh cool space pajamas and he'd be like yes it's the universe and it's to remind me of how alone we are and how small we are in the grand scheme of things (laughs) it's emblematic of the emptiness of my soul the vastness of space (laughs) i don't know uh four will the action continue past into solving the new murder and will cole and Hart reunite again in the present Ooh, I don't know if they'll reunite, but there's definitely going to be some stuff involving this new murder that they're both going to somehow get involved in. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they reunited, but I don't think they would reunite until, once again, episode 7 or 8. Um, and if they do reunite, I don't exactly think it will be on good terms. Right, I don't think that it would be as as friends, but we'll have, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and five, will something happen to Hart's wife or kids? Will we see her in the present? My biggest guess right now, and most optimistic out of these two possibilities, is she, Maggie catches Hart cheating, or Hart finds out that Maggie's having an affair with Cole, or they're dead. But I would hope they're not dead. He's acting, I, from the way Hart's talking about them, I feel like if they were dead, he would be discussing a lot more of the mistakes he made and be a lot more uh, upset and full of sorrow when he brings them up. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I don't think anything really bad is going to happen to Maggie or the kids. I don't think they're going to die. I think that's the kind of twist that Nick Pizzolatto might be referring to, the, the kind of twist that really just feels like it's there just to surprise people and be dark and like, ooh, I didn't see that coming. You know, I, I don't feel like that's where this show is going. You don't think that by the episode uh, eight, Cole and uh, Hart will be reunited and some FedEx truck will drop off a box with a head. And, yeah, and then Woody Harrelson <laughs> is just going to be like, what's in the box? What's yeah. in the box? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there would be lawsuits if it did, so... <laughs> if, if, if you're at home playing the Detect This drinking game, take a drink, because Charlie <laughs> just referenced Seven. Oh. Okay. I didn't want <laughs> Take a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully no one's binging all of these podcast episodes uh, in order, because I think I will be responsible for alcohol poisoning. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think Maggie and the kids are going to die. I, I really don't think we're going to see her in the present. I, I kind of think 
that she and Hart are going to get divorced and then she's going to disappear, which will be disappointing because I like Michelle Monaghan and, you know, I, I, I would want to see more of her, but I, I don't know. I just, if I had to predict, I would predict that, that that's, that's what's going to happen. She's just going to kind of disappear. I, I would agree. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode. Thank you so much for all the feedback. Thank you for the voicemails. Thank you for the emails. We really, really appreciate all your support. And uh, if you'd like to send us some more feedback, don't forget you can call us at 336-793-2509 or email us at detectthis at filmgeekradio.com. And you can comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. We'd love to hear from you, and and we will be sure to discuss uh, all of your comments on the show uh, next week. Uh, Also, you can subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you liked us, please write us a review. That really helps us out a lot. And be sure to donate to us if you you really, really like us and you want to financially support us uh, by going to filmgeekradio.com and clicking on the Donate button. We also have a couple of affiliates, including Amazon. Uh, And if you use our website to navigate to any of our affiliates, uh, anything you purchase through them, we will get a small percentage of that. So Valentine's Day is coming up. If you would like to offset your true detective pessimism and depression by buying some flowers for a significant other or buying yourself some other present to to cheer yourself up, uh, go to Amazon.com through our website, buy something for yourself, and you can help us out at the same time. And we we really appreciate that. Uh, And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our podcast all about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can listen to me and Andrew discuss the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com, as well as the third season of Homeland under the Briefing Room section of FilmGeekRadio.com. You can also find work that I've posted for uh, Edge Boston and Movie Mezzanine on their websites, and you can follow me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's ctnash91. You can find my writing at moviemezzanine.com and pathos.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message, let me know you're a listener, and I'll follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. Love is an illusion, but it makes me feel funny. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!